0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Roanoke Park area. Alright, well, let's take our Bibles. We're going to go right back where we were this morning. John chapter 15. We're going to preach part two of The abundant life. And uh, let's get, let's get, let's pray before we get started. Father, again, we do thank you for the great privilege that it is to serve you and to be your child. And uh, we never, never, Lord, want to take that for granted and forget about uh, how wonderful it is to be born again. Thank you for Jesus and his great love for you, which compelled him to the cross to. To to save us, and we thank you for that. And Father, help us, help us to seek and live that abundant life that you want us to live. Use us in in our communities, on our jobs, in our schools. Just use us, Lord, to be a witness to you and a testimony of your love and mercy and grace. And just uh, bless us. We pray. Thank you for our pastor, and uh, we do ask that you would uh, uh, bless bless him as he's away and. Give him rest and bring him back, uh, ready to work again. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. We ask you, bless in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, Berean Baptist Church is somewhat of a unique church. I mean, I don't know if you know that. Uh, Some of you were were saved, and this is the only church you've ever been in, and you may not you may not understand as well as others who. Sought for churches for a long time before they found Berean. You may not realize, as others do, how unique Berean Baptist Church really is. Uh, it is a unique church. I've talked with several of the families that have gone on to other places. And uh, they've all told me pretty much the same thing. They've said, man, we just can't find another church uh, like, like Berean. And uh, our, our teaching is unique. Uh, our preaching is unique. And it's because our doctrine... Uh, is unique among American churches today. Uh, our doctrine is what all doctrine was uh, you know centuries ago but things have changed and, and in America especially uh, Christianity today is is pretty watered down and pretty generic you might say and um, so I realize when I when I preach a message like I did this morning uh, to quote a no cliche, I'm preaching to the choir because most of you here understand the things I'm talking about and, 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 and live your life, uh, within, within the principles of the Word of God. And I understand that. So sometimes I even question myself sometimes, well, why am I preaching this? Because, uh, most of our people, if not all of our people, already know this and are already disciplined in this. But, I've also heard that you can never preach the gospel to, to the wrong crowd and you can never preach doctrine and principle to the wrong crowd. Uh, it's so easy as as humans, we forget so easily, don't we? It's so easy to get caught up in things happening and and things around you and, and all of a sudden you look up and, and, and you, you, you just realize, wow, you know, I, I'm off track here, I'm off course. So it's good to hear these things occasionally from time to time and be reminded of them and so um, I, I certainly don't want to give any, anyone the impression that I'm, I'm saying anyone here lacks in these areas but I do think it's important if the Lord found it important enough to teach these principles to his disciples then I think it's important that we as his disciples uh, every now and then go go back over these principles and hear them and apply them to our lives. Now this morning, uh, I spoke of the abundant life that Christ desires that we have, that He came to give us. Remember, we, we read He came to give us life and that we would have it abundantly, more abundantly. So, God has an abundant life for us, but as we discussed, that abundant life is not a materialistic life. It's not, it's not based on possessions. There's, there's a movement across America that says, oh, you know, God, You claim it and and name it and claim it. Right. You you ever hear that? The name it and claim it thing. Uh, Well, you can name it and claim it all you want. But if it's not in God's will for your life, you're not going to get it. And uh, God is not. uh, I've said this before. God is not so interested with this life. I mean, he wants us to be comfortable. He wants us to be blessed. But God is not primarily worried about this life. Uh, He is he is going to save us from this existence and save us from this life uh, and redeem us and restore us. So he does answer our he knows the desires of our hearts and he does try to make us uh, provide for us and take care of us. But please understand, God is not sitting up there uh, with a lotto ticket waiting to to hit it big for us. Um, The Lord is more concerned with our spiritual self, with our heart, with our with our spiritual life. And that's the life he he wants us to have. That's the abundant life he wants us to have. And this morning, I we talked about the abundant life being a fruitful life. And this this term, fruitful life, has has also stirred up many a debate uh, among those who claim to, to be children of God. And the fruitful life here we're talking about are, are the works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer. Uh, and, and God wants us to have that life and he wants it to be abundant. Uh, the works of the Spirit, the winning of souls—we said through the, through our witness. Uh, this is part of that part of that fruitful life uh, when we when we are uh, living our life the way that we should. The, the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, I should say, comes forth, and the image of Christ is seen in us, and that bears a witness. That gives us a witness as we go forth. And then we talked about spiritual growth this morning. So tonight I want to continue studying on this abundant life by examining another aspect of this life. And that is, number two, the abundant life is an abiding life. An abiding life. Look with me again at John chapter 15, and let's look at verse 4. We read here, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. So this abundant life that, that the Lord desires that we have is an abiding life. Uh, the, notice the words of Christ here. He said, as the branch, that's you and me, we're the branches. Remember this morning we talked about the three, uh, the three characters in this allegory that Jesus gives concerning the vineyard. Uh, the husbandman who was who who was the husbandman? God, the father, the vine, which is Christ, the son and the branches, which are you and me. We're the branches. OK, so the branch, Jesus said, cannot bear fruit of itself. You and I cannot produce the works of the flesh on our own, Uh not not on a consistent manner, at least everyone can can exhibit joy at one time or another everyone can live in peace everyone can can do these things uh at times and for a short period but to to consistently produce the fruit of the spirit the works of the spirit uh the the branch cannot do that of itself it it must abide in the vine um as i mentioned several times this morning apart from christ uh, we can do nothing Nothing of, of, of benefit or profit to God. We can do nothing apart from Christ. We will wither and die. Uh, my first thought here, of course, is to understand what does Christ mean when he says, Abide in me and I in you. Well, being, a, being an English teacher for many years and a grammar teacher, I, I understand that if you, want to, if you want to try to understand what someone is telling you, then you need to be able to define the terms they're using. So in order for me to completely understand what is being talked about when the Lord says to abide in him, then I need to understand what it means to abide. So I took some time and I I looked up the word abide. I got to get the definition. And here's what I found. I found four, four elements. First is to dwell, to rest, to continue, and to stand firm. These are the four uh synonyms, if you will, of abide. And these are these are the elements that comprise the definition. Uh, so when I consider these attributes, uh I'm compelled to assess this admonition by applying each of these uh, singularly and then of course collectively. So tonight I'd like to begin with number letter A on your study sheet, and that is this. We are to dwell. We are to dwell, and we are to dwell in his word. We are to dwell in his word. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, we read, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Uh, In other words, we are to take up, Habitation in the scripture. Now, the word of God is, is an incredible book. It's unlike any other book ever written by, by, by man. Uh, and, and we have the ability, by, by the grace of God, to, to literally take up habitation in the pages of this book. We can live in this word. We find happiness. We find joy. We find we find counseling, we we find courage, we find strength, we find hope, uh, we find direction. All these things we find in God's word. Uh, we are to live, live in the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 114, the psalmist writes, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Apart from the word of God, you and I, we really have, we don't have any, any basis for what we believe. God's Word is the, is the source of our hope. It's, it's the foundation of our faith. God's Word is exactly what, it, what the psalmist claims it is. It's my hiding place. It's my shield. It's my hope. The Scriptures are to us a place of refuge. We turn to them in times of trouble. We look to them for guidance and strength. It is in them that we find all truth. It is from their principles that we establish our lives. It is by their power that we cleanse and purify our hearts and minds. Um, I have turned to the Word of God so many times when, 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 when I'm downtrodden, when I'm, when I'm afraid, when I when I'm in need, uh and, and what I find when I go to the Word of God, it's always I find hope and strength. Uh, you young people in this room, that's where you need to turn when you when you need things, is turn to the Word of God. Consult the God's Word for everything. In Psalm one nineteen and verse nine, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto. According to thy word. And the word of God is to us. Uh, it's everything. It's everything that we believe. It's everything that we hope for. It's everything that we, that we look to. But more than this, not only do are we to take up habitation in the scripture, but the scriptures are to inhabit our lives as well. We are to make room for them in our hearts and in our mind. We're to give place to the word of God. We're to, we're to open our, our heart and mind to God's word and allow it to dwell in us. Psalm 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. All the years we conducted our Christian school here, scripture memorization was required study. Students were required to memorize scripture. It wasn't an option. In fact, I had a teacher, I had a, I had a parent came to us one day. He had a, a young child in our kindergarten, and he came and he said, I would like for my child to not have to participate in the Bible class. I said, I'm sorry, sir, then you'll have to take him out of the school. I told him, I said, Bible is a required subject in our school. It will be taught. And he didn't like that. And so I told him, I said, well, I understand, but I'm not taking him out, and we're not going to stop it. He said, in the public school, you don't get to come in here and tell us what we are going to do. By the way, he he left his child in our school. His alternative was worse. (laughs) Uh, But scripture memorization was required. It's it's required in 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 our students to memorize the Word of God to hide God's Word in our heart. I can't tell you how many times after, over the years, when I'm out visiting people or witnessing to someone, and all of a sudden they have a question and I need to answer that question, and a Scripture comes to my mind, and I I, I quote that Scripture. And I, later I say, man, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from the Holy Spirit. I hid it in my heart, and He brought it up when He needed it. How many of you work with computers? Do you know everything in your, in, in, in your computer? Do you know every little thing that's in there? Do you know where to find every little thing in your computer? Are you, are, are are you like me? You go to the find button, You press find and you type in the word you want and boop, here's all these suggestions. You see, it's hidden in there. And by using the find feature, I can recall them and bring them up. And when we hide God's word in our heart and God's word dwells in us, when we need it, the Holy Spirit brings it up and and we recall and we remember. There to be an intricate and inseparable part of whom and what we are. We should, as a Christian, we, we do not exist apart from the word of God. We, can, we should not be identified apart from the word of God. At, at work, some, some of them are starting to call me the Bible answer man. When they have a Bible question at work, they come over and say, hey, Dalton. Uh, and they ask me their question. I'm the Bible answer man. I want to be known as that. Amen. I, I want that. Uh, they, they like to, sometimes they go around and they say, OMG. And I'm not going to say it, but you know what OMG is, right? And I tell them, I say, you ought not do that. And they look at me and I say, you know, the Bible, the Bible tells us not to take God's name in vain. Well, I wasn't swearing. That's not what that's saying. Not swearing goes without even needing to mention What it means to take God's name in vain. God, I tell him, God's name is so holy and so righteous. We do not evoke his name. We do not call upon his name for anything frivolous or unimportant. And to stand there and to invoke the name of God is taking his name in vain. And we ought not do that. So now when they do it, they look over at me and go, oh, I'm sorry. I tell them, don't be sorry to me. You didn't take my name in vain. Folks, God's word needs to live in us. And, and, and we need to live in it. It's, it's, it's incredible to me how, how many people today have no knowledge of the word of God, yet they claim to be his child. And, and they, they're, they're shocked and surprised when they make a statement and I correct them. And I, and I explained to them what the Bible means. They're, they're shocked. Because they have no knowledge of the word of God. And this is, this is the testimony of Christianity in America today. And if we're not careful, even here at Berean Baptist Church, if we're not careful, it will infiltrate even us. Our children. We need to make sure these children in this room love, honor, and respect the word of God. And that it's a major part of their lives. Hebrews chapter four tells us, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If we will abide in Christ, his word must dwell in us and we in his word. Turn with me, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter nine. Jeremiah chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 13 through 16. We read here, and the Lord saith, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked Therein. Now, this is pretty much America. They forsake, in America, uh, even those who claim to be Christians, they've forsaken the word of God. They, they, uh, they don't obey the word of God. And they don't walk in the principles of the Bible. Verse 14. But have walked after the imagination of their own heart and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the heathen, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them, till I have consumed them. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider ye, and call for the mourning women, that they may come, and send for cunning women, that they may come. In Jeremiah's day, they had forsaken the word of God. They had forsaken it to the point they, they were ignorant of the word of God. And therefore, they didn't obey the, the, the word of God. And that's exactly where we are today in America. This this We have everything we want in America, don't we? Uh, I mean, people in America are more materialistic. I, I mean, even... Even Bible-believing Christians are more materialistic than than we want to admit. Um, you can you can bring America to a screeching halt if you can just disrupt the internet. If you if you took out all the all the cell phone service in America, I think we'd have anarchy. People in America have no idea what's what's going on six feet above them. You ever notice that? What do I mean by that? This is all you see. All the time. People staring at their phone, texting away. Something major could be happening right here and they'd never see it. We have everything we want in America. But we're drifting away from God. We're, we're losing our young people. I mean, look at all the shootings we've had recently. And that comes from, that does, that's not because of guns, by the way. That's because of a lack of respect for people. And, and, and that all comes from a lack of fear of God. Yeah. 35, 40 years ago in, in schools, the parents bought into the philosophy, oh, don't, don't spank your children. You're going to squash their self-esteem. Daddy didn't care about my self-esteem. He could care less if he was squashing my self-esteem. And what we've done is we've raised a generation of young people who have no natural affection, who, who, who respect nothing, fear nothing, and want everything. We need to get back in the word of God. And that abundant life we desire, we will find there. We will find in the word of God. Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So the happiness and the joy and the peace that people are seeking is found in the word of God, not apart from it. So if we are going to abide in Christ, we must dwell in his word. But secondly, the second aspect of the word abide is to rest. And we are to rest in his righteousness. Matthew chapter 11. We read, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now this is a place where a lot of Christians get tripped up. Notice the words, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Now, don't mistake what Christ intends in this statement. He's not talking about our labors of life. He's not talking about all ye that labor in life. He's not talking about uh, being being burdened down with troubles or, or concerns. He's, he, that's not, when he says, uh, all ye that labor, that's not what he's talking about. Tonight, as we sit here around the word of God, thousands of our brethren are caught up in living their life by a set of rules or standards in a vain attempt to become righteous and holy. And this is a heavy burden, for human works cannot and will never result or produce the righteousness they seek. Thus, they will never cease from their labors and will never find rest, especially rest for their souls. But Christ's yoke, or his burden... Is a light one. He said come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. His burden is light because it is he that does the work. Not us. God is not impressed. Nor is he appeased. By my ability. To do or not do things. The truth is I cannot do anything. Apart from the vine. That is a that is of very much importance. And what Jesus is telling me, in this statement of come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, what he's telling us here is this, stop trying to earn your righteousness by doing or not doing things. Listen, the length of your hair doesn't make you more or less holy. Doesn't make you more or less righteous. Jorge's wearing a nice suit. Who's not wearing a suit? Jim's not wearing a nice suit. Does that, does his suit make him more holy than him? Does it make him more righteous? No, it doesn't. Now, I could, I could park right here and I could do some talking about. The clothes we wear and the things we do and and why they, they do have some bearing and importance. But in this matter of righteousness or holiness, they have absolutely nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing at all. This is not what the Lord is talking about here. What he's talking about is that we stop trying to produce righteousness because we cannot produce righteousness. There's no good thing that dwells in me. Now the Lord desires that we do the right things. He desires that we, we serve him. He desires that we, we honor him. But remember the scripture says. All our good works are, are as what? Filthy rags. Unto the Lord. Now I'm not, I'm not going to go into the true meaning of that. Because it wouldn't be appropriate in this crowd. But. Jesus, I mean, the Bible tells us that our good works to God are are, are all filthy. There's nothing good that comes from us. And what God wants to do, he wants me to stop trying to do his job. He wants me to stop trying to produce righteousness, abide in the vine, rest in his righteousness, and let his righteousness come through me and the image of Christ shine forth. And that's what we have to do. Stop trying to earn your own righteousness by doing or not doing things. He said, take my yoke upon you. What is the yoke of Christ? Well, let me give you some thoughts. Live according to the will and purpose of God. How about that? What about cast no judgment upon others? Rather, judge yourself. How about love God with all your heart? What about love the brethren? How about love your enemies? Now remember, I've taught many times, you can love someone without liking them. He didn't say like your enemies. He said love your enemies. And what he means by that is respect them. Just 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 treat them the way you'd want to be treated yourself. Love your enemies. Stop trying to be holy. It's like having a beautiful vineyard right here and having some dead branches on the ground and taking those dead branches and and, and trying to tape uh, flowers on them or or taping uh, grapes on them. Makes no sense, does it? You might make it look like it should be a part of the vine, but it isn't isn't producing anything. There's no life in that branch. It's dead. And abide in the vine and exhibit his holiness. Stop trying to be holy and live in the vine and exhibit the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the vine will bring forth the fruit in your life. He will cause your life to shine forth in his image. Jesus will will cause you to have a witness, have a testimony and to come and his righteousness will shine forth through us. If we abide in Christ, we will dwell in his word. We will rest in his righteousness. And then thirdly, we will continue in his love. To abide in in, in the vine means to continue in his love. John chapter 15 and verse 9. As the Father hath, hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Now one thing is certain, and that is that Christ's love for his elect saints is unending. Therefore, I do not have to concern myself With whether or not Jesus is going to continue to love me. Because his love is unending. It's undying. It never ceases. However. So I don't need to be worried about him continuing to love me. But I do need to be careful because I can begin to not love him. So we have to be careful that we can that we continue in his love. But what exactly does the Lord mean when he says, continue ye in my love? Well again, I go to the dictionary to to define that word continue. And there are many definitions, but however, I believe the one that's most applicable here is the definition to maintain in an unaltered condition. So continue so to continue means to maintain in an unaltered condition. Now, how often today do we hear of corrupt preaching concerning the love of God? There was some of the nurses that where I work were having a conversation the other day, and they were they were saying, "Oh, I love to to listen to uh, Joel. O, what's his name? Joel." Olstein. I love to listen to Joel Olstein because he's always so positive, and he always makes you feel good, and he never tries to make you feel bad. <laughs> Boy, I had to really check the, check my words there. Uh, yeah, you know, that's that's corrupt preaching concerning the love of God. Now, certainly God loves. God loves. God can love in a way no one else can love. And God's love is farther reaching than anyone else. But let me say this. God loves justice as much as he loves mercy. God's mercy doesn't override God's justice. So yes, he loves. But he also is righteous. Righteous. And there needs to be a balance of preaching. In fact, I think it's probably more important to preach about the wrath of God and to preach on hell. I think, I think it's probably more important because honestly, if you analyze Jesus' preaching in scripture, he preached on hell more than he preached on love. And, and it's important that we understand that, that we have that balance. We need to we need to we need to make sure that we are representing the love of God correctly. I don't want I don't want to present Jesus as some mean ogre, and I don't want to cause people to think of him as a bully. However, I think it's very important that we understand the love of Christ, and not represent it in any way. But people change those opinions today. There's become a corrupt preaching concerning this thing. The world views Jesus as a long-haired, puppy-eyed, effeminate Savior. But that is not at all what Jesus is according to the Word of God. In fact, you know, the scriptures say Jesus was very comely. He was nothing to be to, to look upon. If, if you pass Jesus in a crowd you probably wouldn't have even noticed him. He was so commonplace among men by his appearance. But the world wants us to have a different opinion of Jesus, an opinion that's skewed away from his righteousness. The branch is not grafted into the vine to alter the vine, nor is the branch there to corrupt the vine. It is engrafted to bear forth the fruit of the vine. To bring forth all that the vine has to offer. In fact, we read this morning, what what did uh, did John chapter 15 say? If a branch does not bear fruit, it it would be what? Taken away. It would be taken away and they'll be gathered and cast into the fire. We all know what that represents, right? So the the branch is, is... Engrafted to bear the fruit of the vine, to bring forth the fruit of the vine, not, not their own fruit, but the fruit of the vine. We are to represent the true love of Christ to this world. Yes, Jesus loves us, but his love for the Father is greater than his love for man. You see, the, the world would want you to believe that Jesus primarily died on the cross for you. But I, I would say that that was a byproduct of his death on the cross. He died on the cross to fulfill what? The will of the Father. His love for the Father and the will of the Father is what brought him to the cross. Oh, Jesus' love held him to the cross. Jesus' love for me held him to the cross. It wasn't the nails. No, it was his love for the Father that held him to the cross. It was the love for the will of God. And that's our example. We too should love the will of the Father. We too should love the Father more than anything else in our life. Jesus' love for his Father is greater than his love for man, and his love for justice is not blinded by his love for mercy. We're not to alter the true love of Christ to adapt to man's perception of what he should be. This is why we must preach messages on the wrath of God messages warning men of hell, messages warning Christians of the chastening of God. We are not to recreate Christ into our own image. We are to be transformed by renewing our minds into the image of Christ. We are to diminish ourself and allow Christ to manifest himself through our lives. Philippians chapter 1, we read, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, But that with all boldness as always. So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. To abide is to dwell in his word. Is to rest in his righteousness. Is to continue in his love. And then lastly tonight. Let me say this. We are to stand. In his strength. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The fourth element of our definition of abide is to stand firm. So how are we to stand? Well, let's turn together, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. These are very familiar uh, uh, scriptures, but I I think there's benefit in seeing them. So let's go there. Ephesians chapter 6. And let's look at verse 13. We read here, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, I want you to pay attention to that phrase, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all take the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. We are to stand in God's strength. But notice in the scriptures we just read, verse 13, he says, and having done all to stand. I was captured by that phrase many years ago, and so I decided to to, to really look at it from commentary notes and, and, and try to get the depth of that statement, and having done all to stand. Now, it's true that when we have done all that we can and should do, That God takes over. I draw your attention for a moment. We're not going to turn there, but think about Moses and Aaron when they confronted Pharaoh in Egypt. Think about it for a moment. The first few plagues, if you will. The first few plagues. Moses. Told Aaron what to do. Aaron went before Pharaoh and he did it. And then Pharaoh called on his magicians who came and repeated that. Right? We're all in agreement? Well, after a while, Moses quit talking to Aaron. He, he stopped telling Aaron to go do something, this, and he did it himself. And it was then that he began to break the back of Pharaoh. You see... Moses representing the father, Aaron representing uh, you and me. Pharaoh representing the devil and his magicians representing uh, the unsaved man. Well, at, 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 as soon as long as Aaron did what Moses told him, the work of God went forward. But it finally reached a point where Aaron could no longer do. And Moses had to do himself. And, and folks... We have to do all that God expects us to do. We can't just sit back and say, Okay, God. I'm in this mess, so get me out of it. There's, there's something. There are things we have to do, right? There are things we do. We have to do in this, in this Christian life. There are expectations God has upon us. And we do all that we should and can do. And the Father takes over from there. That's what he's saying here. Having done all, after we've done all that we can do, then what do we do? Then we stand in the faith that we have in God. And from there forward, it is by faith, that not that it wasn't by faith before, but from there forward, we have, we have done all that we can do, and now we stand. We stand with the elements that God has told us to have. We're to stand in God's strength. God does expect us to do that which he has commanded us to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. James chapter 4. But he giveth uh, more grace. Wherefore he said, God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Psalm 46, be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Psalm 27, deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. James chapter 4, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. We stand in his strength. We apply the principles of his word. And we do all that we we have to do. And having done all, what do we do? We stand. We stay faithful. We continue in his strength. His strength which comes to us through the vine. Flows to us because we abide in the vine. And our, our fruit comes from the vine. And all these attributes that we are looking at and all these things we're talking about don't come from our own efforts. Don't come from ourselves. They come from the father through the vine. And we abide in the vine. God will never leave us nor forsake us. However, when we forsake God's principles as taught in his word, be prepared to face the consequences for your carelessness. You might be surprised how far God will let you go to teach you a lesson. He'll never never forsake you. But sometimes he might say, "Okay, you want to be stubborn? Go ahead. Go ahead. And it's always for his glory and according to his will and purpose. So we rejoice, even in tribulations and in troubles, we rejoice and we stand in his strength. Well, that's all the time I have tonight, folks. The abundant life. It's not a life filled with material blessings. It's a fruitful life and it's an abiding life. Our The abundant life that we that God desires that we have flows through the vine, through Jesus our Saviour. So let's let's live that abundant life. Dwell in Christ. Dwell in His Word. Continue in His love. Stand in His strength. And let, let the let the image of Christ come through as we live our lives before those around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you for the strength that you give us. and Each of us, Lord, have have been saved and ordained to a purpose that you have given us. And Father, we cannot fulfill that purpose apart from the vine. Help us to understand, Lord, that we are to abide in you and you and us. And the fruit that, that, that we bear in our life will be based from the works of the Spirit. They will be a witness unto those around us. They will, they will uh, manifest the image of Christ in all that we say and do. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for these good things. Use us, Lord, we ask. Bless us throughout this coming week. Help us to, to be a witness to those around us we thank you for this, and we ask you to bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928.